It is good to be in the house of uh, the Lord. And uh, we should not forsake the gathering of the saints where we can have fellowship, that we can encourage one another, that we can uh, support one another, we can admonish one another and sharpen one another. And so it is good to be here. And God has uh, set aside the seventh day as a holy day where we can rest and worship God. I bring before you First uh, John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. I always used to have this impression that we're going to talk about two or three verses. It's a walk through the park. <laughs> Believe me, it's not a walk through the park. And uh, it enabled me to study uh, Scripture. And because of that, I'm much more uh, blessed than I was before this. And I encourage you also to, to study the Scripture. You'd be surprised what it'll do to your walk. And so, uh, by this we know him. That's the, uh, the theme. And I, I'll ask you to uh, stand up for the reading of the Scripture. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Sounds like a tall order to me, but we'll get through the scripture and we'll see how we can obey his commandments. And I want to stress the fact that 1 John, and for that matter, 2 John and 3 John, was written to the Christians. I'm sorry, you may be seated. <laughs> it's not a natural reflex. Uh, the first John, uh, second and third, was written for the Christians, for the beloved, and only for them. It wasn't written for the unsaved. And so, and so when we read, uh, but whoever... Um, when we read, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandment, is a liar, and the truth is not him, in him. He's actually written this to the believers. And I'll show you um, a very, very practical illustration so that we could all understand, and not necessarily a theoretical one. Because these verses talk about commandments, I think it's an opportune time. Uh, oh, yes. And I'll, I'll prove to you through the scripture that is only written to the, uh, to the believers. 
And that's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 to 21. Okay. Is it there? Not there? Okay. I'll read it nonetheless. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 to 21. But you have a been... But you have been appointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So it's definite that he wrote this letter for the edification of the saints. Because we're talking about commandments, or because the Scripture talks about commandments, uh, I think it's an opportune time that we go through the Ten Commandments. And I have to confess that uh, I don't go to the Ten Commandments often. But, but it's, uh, uh, like all Scripture, it edifies us. And so, the Ten Commandments is found in Exodus 20, verses 1 to 17. And if you can... Go into your Bibles, Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 1 to 17. And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In today's terms, you can translate that by brought you out of this world, this world that offers nothing but slavery. Slavery to, uh, and our flesh is, uh, is beckoned. Now, the first four commandments um, regard to our relationship with God. It's a vertical relationship. And if we, um, if we want to know God, if there is any way of loving God, is by obeying these four, first four commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take, in the, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock.
or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Today is a holy day, and we should not uh, take light of this. The commandments, the fifth to the tenth, which are six commandments, were given so that we can have a relationship with our neighbor, with our fellow man. It is a horizontal uh, relationship, and so that if we first establish the vertical, God will enable us to have a horizontal relationship with our neighbor. And so the commandment number five, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. It's the only commandment with a promise of long life. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. I'm talking too much. So, have we obeyed God's commandments, the entirety of his commandments? Because if we have, then we enter into relationship with him. Through his son, uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. To know God means to obey God. There's no other way of knowing him. So, for the commandments, the first to the fourth, do you love God? Have you come to know him? For the commandments five to ten, do you love your neighbor? Do you love the brethren? Do you love the brothers and sisters? If we can't love each other, how can we love our neighbor? What example do we show to our neighbors who do not believe in God. What kind of example? How can we testify, uh, witness to them? I want to direct you to John 13, verses 34 to 35. John 13, verses 34 to 35. Here is again the word commandment. A new commandment I give to you. This is our Lord, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How can, how can people know our Lord and Savior, it's through the saints, right? And because we are saints, because we, uh, Jesus has uh, robed us with his righteousness, this is the only way uh, that people may know God, 
because as God commanded the disciples to go out and make disciples of all nations. So we have that mandate. But we have to love one another. And, and it's only through the love of one another that we're able to, uh, to witness and to love even our neighbors who do not know our Lord and Savior. It is impossible. It is impossible to obey God's commandment on our own strength. It's only through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is a Lord and Savior. He did not come to replace the law, did not come to replace the commandments, but he fulfilled the commandments. He was sinless. And because we have the Lord Jesus in our heart, we can obey the commandments, because Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches, aren't we? And so we could only obey the commandments through the vine, through Jesus. We can't do it on our own. In fact, in fact, the new covenant, what has our Lord Savior done in the new commandment through his blood? He has taken the Ten Commandments in stone, and he has put them in our hearts, a heart of flesh. And so, and so this way we can obey the commandments in, in, in the name of Jesus, only through him, and, um, and therefore we can uh, have the joy of loving him. To love God is to obey God. Now, <laughs> I'm going to come to this uh, very touchy uh, subject matter, a natural illustration. Not some theor theoretical illustration where some may grasp that theoretical illustration, but I believe this example uh, will speak to us. Verse 4 says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, I, have, I want to reiterate, when John wrote his holy scripture, he wasn't directing it to unbelievers. It would, would be easy to direct it to unbelievers. Uh, it could be that when he wrote it, this epistle uh, was, uh, was uh, uh, seminated to all the churches. And, and as this letter was read, the body of Christ was present. And it could be, just like today, could be that there was an unbeliever there. But the sole purpose of his uh, writing this letter it was for the believers. We, uh, if there is an unbeliever here, I encourage you to take that step of faith and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because I believe that the saints have this duty 
of snatching unbelievers out of the fire and to uh, tell them about the good news of the gospel. And uh, if you take that step of, step of faith, God will give you the joy of his salvation, a joy that is beyond human understanding. Praise God. And um, so John was directing this to the believer. And what he's basically saying is this. If we do not work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we won't be able to keep his commandments. And thus, we become liars, and the truth is not in us. Case in point. Here's the case in point. There's been lately amongst us the battle between the maskers and the unmaskers. And this is, uh, this is very real in our midst because we have experienced it. Some brethren have succumbed to look at each other with contempt. There was hardly any communication between the, between the believers, between the two camps. There was finger pointing. There was gossip. This is totally unacceptable. And I wish I didn't have to bring this example. Where was the grace shown between brethren? There was no grace. And yet, God poured out his grace on us. If it wasn't for God's grace, we wouldn't be here as a body of Christ Jesus. Instead, the two groups were entrenched in their stand. There was tension. We have sinned. As first thing is confess your sin to God and ask for his forgiveness. And I encourage all those that had this mindset not to only confess your sins to God and ask for forgiveness, but confess to your brothers this particular sin. Restore the fellowship. Because if we don't have fellowship, we have nothing. The fellowship in Christ Jesus, that is. Don't be like the unforgiving servant. So I want to direct you to the passage, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Uh, you know what, I want, to, I want to give you a chance to put it up. It's, it's a long passage, but I think it uh, bears uh, uh, reading it because in light of what we have experienced lately. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, do not say 
um, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. Uh, I should have said that this was one of the parables that Jesus recounted. And out of pity for him, uh, I'm sorry. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his servant, fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. I have to say that I've read this um, parable uh, in my Christian life a few times, but not until I did some research. I realized the impact of this parable. And um, may God give us a year to understand. But this is what I understood in my research. How long do you think this servant, the first servant, was in prison? You want to take a guess? You won't believe what I looked up. I couldn't believe it. So the first servant had a debt of 10,000 talents. The 10,000 talents were forgiven forgiven debt by his master. Now, if you, if you skim through this very lightly, you may not get the full impact of what 10,000 talent is. I did a little bit of research. So the debt was 10,000 talents. One talent, so 10,000 talents, but one talent is equivalent to 6,000 denarii. These are... Uh, currencies that were known in, uh, in uh, the days of Jesus. So one talent is equivalent to 6,000 denarii. One denarii was equivalent to a daily wage for a worker. 
starting to get the picture. I did some further calculations. So 10,000 talents are equivalent to 60 million denarii or 60 million working days. I couldn't believe this. So what's 60 million working days? What's equivalent to that? If you keep your Sabbath day, so the six days of work, right? That amounts to 189,274 years. Okay, it's, you cannot phantom that. What's 189,274 years? Uh, how many lifetime that is? So, if you live to be 120 years old, why do I choose 120? Usually, amongst Italian, on the birthday, we congratulate each other and say, Cendani, may you live to be 100 years. And so, I changed that standard to 120 years because that's when Moses died with his full faculties, his physical faculties and his mental faculties. In other words, uh, he was whole, even at 120. And so, so you would have to live 1,577 lifetimes. Now, compare this with 100 denarii. What's 100, uh, 100 denarii? It's equivalent to a little more than three months of work. Do you see the contrast? This, this first servant was forgiven his debt. Otherwise, he would have had to work beyond his, uh, beyond his, his lifetime. And yet, this first servant did not forgive the debt of his servant, which amounted to three months of work. I want to give you uh, an explanation to this parable, but I'm going to quote from the commentary because it was so simply put. Uh, I couldn't put it this way. Uh, uh, a commentary included in the Reformation Study Bible, ESV. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so just so that there's no misunderstanding. The point of this parable is not that God's forgiveness, once granted, will be revoked if a follower of Jesus refuses to forgive his brother or sister. Once God saves us, he saves us uh, to eternity. So this is not what the parable was, uh, was intending. Our salvation is secure. And... Um, and even the Holy Spirit that dwells within us uh, confirms that, so that we have the joy of the Lord. Um, I'm sorry, I lost, I lost my thought here, or I lost where I was. Rather, refusal to forgive, okay, is symptomatic or it's the condition of the person, right? Symptomatic of a person who fails to grasp the impossible depth of his debt. 
10,000 talents. He did not appreciate it at all. Uh, it was beyond his uh, understanding. So the impossible depth of his, uh, of his debt and the infinite magnitude of God's mercy, and therefore no reason to presume that he has received God's forgiveness in the first place. In other words, in other words, uh, in other words, God does not save and, and, uh, and take away his salvation. Rather, rather this servant um, could not grasp God's infinite mercy because the debt that he, that he owed, right, is, is much less than the depth of his mercy. And, and um, I understand this um, parable by this. There's some of you uh, know this hymn, and uh, it reminded me of this hymn. And it goes like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. We had a debt, like the first servant, or even more than that. We could not pay. We needed someone to wash our sins away. Who knows this hymn? <laughs> Very few of us, but anyways, it reminded me of, uh, of uh, that hymn. And, and so, uh, we must forgive each other 77 times. Not because we're going to keep a log and uh, past 77 times, we're not going to forgive anymore. But Jesus was illustrating this, this, uh, this notion that you always forgive. There's no uh, number to forgiveness, just as, just as God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. And if we come to, re to repentance, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. It means that there's no limit to forgiveness. If we cannot forgive each other, so what happens when we cannot forgive each other? We do not keep his commandments. We live, because we cannot keep his commandments, we live in darkness as liars, and the truth is not in us. There's, there's better... better <laughs> There's better things to come in this message. I'm not, uh, I don't want to uh, highlight that and terminate the, uh, the message. That's not the point. So we're in verse 5. I just want to know how much, uh, how much talking I'm doing. Lost track. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. How is the love of God perfected in us if we keep his word? Well, here's um, the next slide. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm going to tell you how God's love is perfected in us, but you can take the occasion of reading it, too, and uh, contemplate on it. Um, oh, maybe. Did I? Uh, 
Did I miss? Uh... Okay. Uh, no, no, no. Go forward. Uh, hold on. That's. Oh, maybe it's not there. Maybe it's not there. Okay. All right. So, how is the love of God perfected in us? And, and you can answer it only by yourself because you know yourself better than anybody else. So, how is the love of God perfected in us? It is perfected in us if you are growing in Christ. If your love for God is growing from day to day in a noticeable measure, if by extension your love, and if by extension your love for the brethren is also growing in a noticeable measure, if you desire to help, support, encourage, admonish, sharpen the brethren, and in return receive from the brethren the same. Uh, the same uh, graciously. If God is bringing you from grace to grace every day, if you desire to fellowship with the brethren, if you desire to study scripture and thus have a desire to know God in in a noticeable measure, if you desire to spend time with God in prayer in a noticeable measure. Yeah. Uh, You are very conscious when you sin and take no pleasure. In fact, you are grieved when you sin because the Holy Spirit that indwells us is also grieved um, when we sin, and we're very conscious that we have grieved the Holy Spirit. If you're going through all that, then it's a confirmation that the love of God is being perfected in you. More specifically, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify you so that you can conform to the image of Christ Jesus, our Savior. If this is not your experience, then examine yourself to know whether you believe in the Lord Jesus, if you believe in him in faith. Our desire is to love God and to love our brethren. If we don't love our brethren, if we cannot forgive our brethren, that this is not from God. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. If I can reference Philippians 2, 12, 13. There you go. Therefore, my beloved, as you... And this is the Apostle Paul saying. Therefore, my brethren, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my present, but much more in the absence working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In in other words, in other words, if you had that desire 
that I've listed, then God will take that desire and he will, he will work with you. He will, uh, like the, the um, uh, like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I, I, love the, I love the word, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, it's why I said we cannot follow the commandments on our own strength. For God will will it in you, and you, and He will make you work out those commandments. So it's only in Christ Jesus that we can follow His commandments. And and you know what? God is very patient with us, because if you weren't patient, we'd be long gone. And so we we are being sanctified every day on a daily basis. And I can tell you, and you can confirm with me, that where I was a year ago, I'm not, I'm not at the same level as today. And so God is very patient. He will work with us if we desire, if we desire him. So uh, as we love and forgive one another, as Jesus commanded us, the love of God is perfected in us. You see the connection? Uh, we cannot do it on our own. How can the brethren, uh, how can we love the brethren and forgive each other? Here's another, I, I alluded to it, and um, I'm going to read it, and uh, it's um, found in John 15, 1 to 12. And you'll see how this, this passage is, contains a lot of the word commandments. Those that garden, whether it's flower gardening or vegetable garden, I, I do vegetable garden, I'm sure a few of you do vegetable garden, you will understand this passage because uh, we're doing some of the stuff that is mentioned in this, uh, in this passage. And it goes like this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. How many times have we pruned our plants to foster further growth, further fruit? Yeah. That it may bear more fruits. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Who's the vine here? We're not talking about a physical vine. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the vine. Neither can you... Uh, sorry. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burnt. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, there you go, there's the word commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Hallelujah. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Where there is love, there's forgiveness. Where there is love, there's fellowship in the name of Jesus. His, his salvation indeed is unspeakable and full of joy. Whoever says, he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How can we walk in the same way our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, you heard it. Uh, certainly, I think by now, you're convinced that we cannot do it on our own. It would take lots of strength and we'd fail miserably. It's much easier if we follow Jesus. Now, one last verse. I'm not going to complete it. Uh, I'm not going to read it in its entirety. I've underlined what uh, I want to uh, say. And it's found in the book of John 13, verses uh, 1 to 17. But I'll be reading from verse 4 to verse 5. Now, this was during the Passover, three days before Jesus was to be crucified. And Jesus knew the hour was coming. And um, I've read this so many times, but thank be to God that uh, he has uh, illumined my mind that I may understand. And... Uh, and it goes like this, verse 4. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. <laughs> and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, he poured out, he poured water into a basin. and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Please continue reading the whole, the whole chapter. What an example Jesus gave. Our example should emanate from his example. Now think about this. Because when I thought about it, it was, uh, it was profound. What matter of a God do we have? 
that he should care for us. Jesus, God in the flesh, the almighty God that created heaven and earth, came as a servant and was meek and was humble. Think about that for a second. The almighty God washed our feet. We should have washed his. We should have been uh, serving him. But instead, Jesus served us. And it, it reminds me of the passage that he did not consider the privileges that he had as God a thing to be grasped. But he humbled himself to the cross for our benefit. I'll tell you something else that blew me away. He washed every disciple's feet. He washed the feet of Judas, even though Jesus knew that he would betray him. How do you react when someone betrays you, when your brethren betrays you? He even washed the feet of Peter, even though Jesus knew that Peter would deny him three times. Have you been betrayed? Have you been denied by your brethren? Then consider this. Consider Jesus' example. And by this, he showed us that we should put our brethren's, brethren's interests before ours. Why do we forgive and love one another? We do it for Jesus Christ. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Let's bow down in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you, O oh Father, because Jesus Christ has paid a price so that we may be reconciled. Father in heaven, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray, that the scripture that we uh, went through today, that you may sanctify it onto our hearts. You have placed your commandments in our hearts. Give us a year to understand what was discussed today and sanctify us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you because you have given us a joy unspeakable, a joy that transcends human understanding. And we worship you and we uh, adore you. We bless you, O oh Father. Keep us in the beloved until he appears, where faith becomes sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.